Me, Alex, and Dan are here just scrolling through notable boomer musicians' uh, social media. And I mean, there's a lot of excitement in the world of like boomer rock and roll Twitter right now. Rock lore. Yeah, rock lore being written in the present day here. Because I want to highlight this David Crosby one from what, two weeks ago? Where um, someone was like, I know you're not into metal, David, but what's your opinion on Eddie Van Halen? This is like right after he died. <laughs> and David Crosby just said, meh, dot, dot, dot. Meh. Yeah, he didn't know that he died. Yeah, all the comments are just like, that's very rude. Yeah, it looked like that was his statement that he was giving on Eddie Van Halen's death. And he had a follow-up tweet. Where oh, he, yeah, I have uh, that here. Like, what was that? Um, it took him three days to make the follow-up <laughs> tweet. <laughs> and he said... Yes, you Van Halen fans, I did just toss off an answer that was not cool, dot, dot, dot. The even more embarrassing truth is, dot, dot, I didn't even remember he had just died or I would have kept my mouth shut. I do make mistakes, dot, 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 no offense intended. By by remember, he meant uh, I didn't know that he had died. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if he didn't know or if it's possible that he heard about it like an hour prior. And, and it forgot. just left his mind. Yeah. And then he also saw Eddie Van Halen. And, like, that didn't trigger him to remember that he had just died a couple hours ago. <laughs> All the comments on that one are, you should have just been polite. You should have said how very sad for the family. My heart goes out to them. Uh, you know, I don't think David Crosby can be um, can be faulted for having a short memory because uh, it's almost a hundred percent true that uh he was experiment experimented on by his father who was uh, part of the mk ultra program oh wow i did not know that. is that true uh i think so i think crosby's crosby's dad and uh, uh who's the uh, you know the mamas and the papas uh phillips John, John Phillips. Phillips. He, uh, he molested his daughter in the 80s. Yeah, so phillips's dad was uh part of the cia and was in haiti um, and Crosby's uh, father apparently was also uh, enmeshed with the CIA. So my theory is that uh, not unlike Courtney Love, whose dad was also in the CIA and involved with MK Ultra, uh, I'm feeling like Red Kahina right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Weird scenes in the canyon, man. Like Jim Morrison. Yeah. I mean, it is it is pretty odd that Jim Morrison and uh, John Phillips and uh, allegedly uh, Frank Zappa's father also involved in uh, military intelligence. It's a common pathway into music. Either you need like a millionaire lawyer dad, a millionaire CIA dad. We should all get adopted by rich dads as adults. (laughs) That's how we're going to make it. Yeah. So there was that. Uh, David Crosby rocks. He's great on Twitter. Just the other day, or the other hour, actually, someone asked him, are you a fan of Tina Weymouth's bass playing? And his uh, quote tweet reply was, Link? <laughs> so funny, man. <laughs> and then Too lazy to Google something you should have learned 30 years ago. People replied with all the videos, and I don't think he uh, saw it. So he just... He's awesome. He just goes through his mentions, and he people send him stupid questions like, have you ever heard Stevie Ray Vaughan? Yeah, then he quote tweets every single one of them with a half-baked response. Yeah, just the most bullshit questions or like stuff he already answered. 
It's actually a pretty good bit. We should start doing that. Just quote tweet <laughs> every fucking reply you get with something really asinine. Meh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, may, it never really appealed to me. Never really see the point of it. There's also a lot of rock lore in the news past couple weeks because of uh, two seismic events. Eddie Van Halen died and Tommy Lee is putting out a third solo album. <laughs> the oh, first yeah, in 15 right. years, the follow-up to 2005's uh, Tommy Land, The Ride. I'm not even reading ad copy right now. That's off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the new one's called Tommy 3 without ever having made Tommy 1 or 2. He should call it Tommy and get sued by the Who. Yes. <laughs> so all these weird stories keep popping up, like... Steve Perry denies he started crying when Eddie Van Halen got guacamole on his jacket in 1978. <laughs> this is like some Metalhead Zone shit. Although on Metalhead Zone, it would be what their daughters think about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think this is just rock is actually dying now. And uh, this is this is just like the sort of like DMT hallucinatory uh shit that happens before like the body of rock actually sort of leaves this earth you know yeah because like before the youngest person who was a mass culture rock star is like i don't know maybe billy corgan someone from the 90s but like that's that's it like anyone from your generation of bands dan like isn't like a star like a celebrity you know what i mean yeah i don't think I'm trying to think. Is there any? Is there anyone in indie rock who's like, Maybe like no? The very, very tail end is like Jack White or something. But even he's not really treated yeah. like a celebrity the way that like Ozzy Osbourne is or something. You know, that was also true in prior decades, though. Like, right. the only time rock singers were massive cultural icons was in the '90s. Yeah, well, and like 80s, in the yeah. '80s, if you look at the charts or like who was in uh, "We Are the World," like we were talking about. You don't see a lot of uh, real rockers in there. Like the people they described as rockers were Cindy Lauper. Yeah, true. So I think like, yeah, I try not to get too alarmist about like rock not being on the charts or whatever. Because it's like we, the way people look back at it, I think they, uh, with, with the way critics elevate certain albums over like uh, albums that were charting at the time. Yeah, yeah. They're comparing no, it I to agree. that, but like... In terms of personal taste, I totally agree of like, I don't think you want to be the kind of artist who's on the charts. Like, the thing to do these days is have like a niche audience who's very loyal. You know, we've talked about that plenty of times of... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's You could kind of make a case that rock collectively is always threatening to come back, like in its, in, in its songs, you know, it's projecting that. It's like like in the 80s that 80s 50s retro thing it's like rock and roll is back rock and roll is here to stay but it never really is you know it's always just i guess yeah. if that's what they're going back to if they're going back to the 50s conception of rock and roll yeah then we can probably just leave that behind <laughs> that'd be hilarious if it that's came not back the part up. i'm interested in like i don't i don't give a fuck about chuck that's Barry. like bringing back 80s rap Man, how come oh, dude, no one's that's... as real as the fucking Sugar Hill Gang anymore, dude? <laughs> yeah, totally. How come nobody's rapping about Zodiac signs anymore? <laughs> no, that must be happening, right? It must be happening. That's got to be happening. There's got to be white astrology rappers. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> like on TikTok or something. Yeah. I, 
I, my fear is that, like, after the pandemic ends, uh, this sort of, like, want to return to, like, trad rock will result in, uh, like, a fourth wave of rockabilly that's oh, no. just going to be to- totally popular and super insu- insufferable. It's going to be like, yeah, man, we're, we're, we just re- use real instruments, just real tactile instruments like the piano and the stand-up bass. Well, now that we're – I'm thinking about, like, 80s rap coming back, that's what I really would hope – to happen after the pandemic is like a return to like fat boys style raps where it's all just like, give me some hot macaroni and cheese. Give me some more food, please. The fat boys <laughs> rocked. Yeah. They had so many songs about food, man. They just love to eat. Everyone can relate to that. Nightmare on my street. Great song. That was fat boys, right? I don't know. Actually. I think, that, I think they did the theme song for nightmare on Elm street Four. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> which which also may have been the first rap song I ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have one of their albums on vinyl that I bought for like a dollar, but I can't even remember. <laughs> I would love for someone to do that, to have a big comeback where they go back to 80s rap. Because people do it with 80s pop all the time. Oh, like an established Taylor star Sw- like Drake or something? <laughs> yeah, like Taylor Swift did it with 80s pop and she pulled yeah, it off. Yeah. But yeah, if Drake tried to sound like 1983 rap. It's actually funny that the 80s pop sound, somehow the 80s pop sound has proven to be really durable, even though it was based on these synths that were like very like cheesy at the time, you know? It's just really funny that that has proven to be durable, but 80s rap hasn't. I mean, I agree that it shouldn't be durable because 80s rap sucks, but it's kind of The innovation there was reaching a plateau, I think, just like uh, with mixing and stuff in audio effects in the 60s, you rapidly re- uh, reached, like, the point where you have the modern pop mix dialed in, and people don't really uh, mess with it that much after that. Yeah. Like, the same thing was happening with uh, synthesizers and drum machines. And, like, once you have that snare sound and you have that kick sound and you have the square wave and the, the saw wave, you kind of just have it there. It's true. Like people are still yeah. using 808s today, you know. Because what are you going to add to it that's going to revolutionize that, like the kick drum? Yeah. Or are you going to you going to start using a wavetable uh, plug-in that you can uh, clock the LFO to the BPM and uh, you know get like uh, or or you're gonna or you're gonna do like Aphex Twin like intelligent dance music that happened at the beginning of the 90s. Where they just pushed the form so far out that it was it was totally unlistenable. Yeah, that's you know? an inevitability in like, every like genre. Like the bad Autechre uh, records or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Everyone has to do that though, like speed metal. Yeah. Or just any like really showy math rock. Someone should subvert speed metal by slowing it down. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Like doom metal BPMs, but speed metal guitar parts. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so stupid. Tons of notes, very slowly. The early doom metal bands had stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what was that big one? Candlemass. In those old doom metal bands, you see stuff that's like power metal affectations. Funny, because metal hadn't really split up. It hadn't those. Um, it hadn't split up into the different lanes yet. Yeah. Yeah, even like Cathedral, like some of the first Cathedral records, they're they're still kind of hinting at like stuff like that. I can only stomach non-virtuosic metal. Yeah, I don't want too much going on. A friend of mine is uh 
uh, who I will, I will keep him, uh, hmm. I'll keep him anonymous, but he is, he spent the last month watching every single like Metallica live film document, like behind the music, you know, and, and is now getting into the load era. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> and I think he's like, he's poisoned his brain with it so much that he's like starting to find good things about load. You know? <laughs> That's curious. I In was going to say, like, I was Metallica. curious whether it's changed his opinion on anything. He thinks of Wolf and Man is a good song. So. It's almost like some kind <laughs> of like Stockholm syndrome. Where like because you're stuck inside and you can't go to real shows. Yeah. You're, well, you've I convinced kinda, yourself uh, to be a slave to these bad shows. I kind of imagine it like like if you're in a if you're in solitary confinement, like in a prison with no windows. You have one book to a, read. <laughs> there's just yeah, you have one book to read. Uh, That's what they did in the uh, Saint Anger video. Remember. They played it at a prison for a captive audience. That's right. That so was he's the background the of their sound. It's for listening to in prison. It came free on all the jail tablets, like that U2 album on the iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that actually is kind of like a genius guerrilla marketing move to have your album put out in prisons and force people to listen to it. <laughs> That's like a DJ Khaled thing of just how can I artificially sell copies, you know? Yeah, exactly. Every uh, Amazon warehouse worker gets uh, gets a copy downloaded to their uh, uh, like work tracking device for free. Yeah. And they, can, they cannot turn it off. You get a brain implant where you can listen to it all day long and you can't turn it off. Yeah, and all of those plays count to your like billboard charting. What if you put album download codes on confetti and just sold like 40,000 <laughs> albums to an individual person at like a party goods store? <laughs> yeah, totally. uh, instead of a merch table, you just got a confetti cannon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your merch guy just runs a uh, commissary at a prison. <laughs> Every tube of toothpaste, that's a sale. Yeah, the guy who, uh, remember we talked one time about the guy who like owns Madison Square Garden or whatever and has like a shitty uh, blues band that he makes people listen to, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, the guy who owns, what's the team? I always forget. One of those New York teams that loses all the time. Uh, the Knicks or the... It's the Knicks, that's it. But yeah, why doesn't he give a free copy of his album to everyone who comes to any show or sports game there? Yeah, drop him out of a helicopter. I'm going to sell an operator song to like the new Aaron Sorkin miniseries on how like uh, like an Iranian agent hacked like a voting machine in Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, yeah, or whatever, like whatever it's going to be. And uh, instead of like a proper license where they use the they use the song in the actual show as like cue music, I'm, I'm going to specify that they just chop it up into like split second slices of sound that they then distribute through uh the entire season's worth of episodes and every play counts as a listen yeah <laughs> what if we are the world what if the secret behind that was them donating food to africa and on every package of food there was a download code for the song <laughs> what if that's why it hit number one yeah it is suspicious that it moved millions of copies while being absolute dog shit yeah Every UN food drop counted as uh, 50,000 domestic physical sales. <laughs> People are always suspicious of uh, USAID and the Peace Corps and all those places that use 
the presumption of charity to enact uh, the imperial agenda. But what's actually going on is they're just juicing the billboard charts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm curious. Like the thing is, I was going to say, like, I'm curious what kind of loopholes you could still find to exploit for the billboard chart. But the funny thing is there's people who I guarantee that's their job at like the three major labels to figure that out. Oh, definitely. Like they already put yeah. a stop to all that DJ Khaled shit of selling like 24 albums with the thing of like uh, energy drinks. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, yeah. they're cracking down on that shit and I'm sure it's just like a game of whack-a-mole. What does the hot hundred look now look like right now? Ooh, yeah, that's a good, let's uh, wet ass pussy on there. It's a little bit alienating to me now because I don't recognize or like I recognize most of the artists, but it's just like in a, a genre that I'm just not going to listen to. Wow, Drake's at number three. It's amazing that he hasn't tried on a song in like 10 years and he has hits every single fucking like month. It seems like like I'm not I'm not going to listen to Juice World. Uh, Joel's roommate. I might kind of slightly confuse the details of this story, but before Juice World died, Joel's roommate painted a race car for him that was like a McDonald's collab. <laughs> Number 12, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. What? It, it's the skateboarding guy. It's the skateboarding guy, yeah. They're milking the hell out of that. Yeah. I think Mick Fleetwood and Lindsey Buckingham both did viral videos uh, in response to it. And I guess oh, it man. works. So did uh, Canadian NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. So I guess it's good that it's because it's a great song. It's great that it has uh, that resonance in popular culture. But yeah, it's true. If you have yeah. the opportunity to give something a second life, you should obviously do it. You know. Yeah. Is is the, is internet money an NBA stupid ass side project? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. No internet money. <laughs> Yeah, Lemonade by Internet Money and Gunna featuring Don Tolliver and Nav. Internet is Money is a 10. great name, though. That, <laughs> that is a very E1 name. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that in the top 20, you have a bunch of country guys like Jason Aldean and Lee Bryce, all interchangeable, kind of just like, all, you know, they're Bryden Brantley type names. You know? One of them girls by Lee Bryce. Let's see what the <laughs> lyrics to this are. Oh, fucking Lord Almighty. Are you one of them girls that peels off the Bud Light label? <laughs> Did you write this? That's literally the first, the first line lyric. of the song. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. They must be... like, it, oh, Man. Mm. What do you mean peels off the Bud Light label? Just peeling off that label, man. Like the it's label uh, on a humid. bottle? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. It's, like a, it's kind of like a nervous tick at a party where some people just peel the label off it as they drink it. Yeah. Pitchfork would say that he's rendering that with painterly detail. It doesn't even, but it's it's not implied that she's nervous. It's that she's. I feel badass. like I'm listening. I feel like I'm listening to a Faulkner novel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's this is one of the all-time great opening lines in all this, of. Uh, is this a song from or the is point this, of view uh, of someone who's mentally disabled? Yeah. Is this as I lay dying? <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. There's a lot of verses in this song too. I don't get how people, <laughs> how people listen to that. You. If you listen to country radio, it's song after song, specifically shouting out Bud Light. Yeah. I do wonder what percentage of like top country, like pop country hits, um, what percentage of them reference a brand name liquor or beer? Because it's like got to be at least 50%. 
Yeah, more than any other genre, even more than rap. Rappers never mentioned Hennessy or anything anywhere near the frequency uh, as country. Yeah, I feel like that kind of peaked with like P. Diddy and shit like 20 years ago even. But like with country, we like for E1, we made fun of just like talking about beers in pop country songs. And then even after we did that, Florida Georgia Line put out like a one and a half minute long song all about beers. I think it's called Beer 30. But it's just like, oh man, pop country revels in cliche and just like reflexive. I don't care how people bullshit. don't feel pandered to by it. You can listen if you have it on for a full eight hour workday. You're hearing over a hundred songs that all mention Bud Light in the lyrics in trucks, <laughs> and that doesn't make you feel anything. No, it makes you, you want to get a beer like when you get out of the office. Something sucks. Makes you feel, it makes you feel thirsty for Bud Light. It makes me want to drunk drive right at five o'clock. Most of my favorite uh, songs make me want to wet my whistle. <laughs> I've got this Tommy Lee interview pulled up. Oh, yeah, the stereo gum one? Yeah, they go through his career and ask him about all the different stuff he's done. Oh, he played on a Richard Marx song. Methods of Mayhem, Get Naked. It was a cool Girl, time. I want to open up a Bud Light and let me see you get naked. All right. <laughs> That's what taking the label off the Bud Light is. It's getting naked. It's a <laughs> euphemism. It was a cool time. I'd left Motley Crue because creatively I was dying. I told the guys, okay. I got, yeah, yeah, Tommy Lee's going to make an art record. <laughs> I told the guys, I got to go do something else for a minute or I'm going to lose my mind. I had all these ideas and I needed to get them out. And they were genre smashing ideas. I was mixing hip hop, rock, industrial EDM. I was literally all over the place. I was hanging out with Kevin Shields, uh, who was just about to yeah. drop the next My Bloody Valentine's in the studio. In this same interview, he talks about working with Billy Corgan like a couple years ago on like a recent Smashing Pumpkins album. And also, I'm pretty sure that album was like all like three minute songs. Like it was like really straightforward, even for Smashing Pumpkins. I'm not listening to a new Smashing Pumpkins album. Oh, no, hell no. But uh, Tommy Lee's in like 2011. Tommy Lee's uh, recollection of working on it. He's like, yeah, you know, when you're working with these prog rock guys, like there's so many parts, man. And like he made me do full takes of the songs and he didn't want to comp them. And like it was so crazy, dude. <laughs> it's like, man, I don't know if like uh, if like a, you know, 2010s Smashing Pumpkin song constitutes challenging prog rock. Kind of makes me wonder what the last like the final couple Motley Crue albums he was on, what the sessions were like, like how comped together everything was (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) like like how little work did he have to do (laughs) he was in the video for lose control by missy elliott he was (laughs) i didn't know that apparently he was in that it rocks i gotta highlight this part of the tommy lee interview where he talks about uh tommy lee goes to college because like well at first he's talking about Uh, You know, I was approached to do it and I was like, hell no, I was so anti-reality TV. But then, of course, he immediately changed his mind. Um, But this question is just so good where they're like, did you learn anything from your college experience? And he says, 
You hear about people in college not doing any studying. They just fucking party. But that's actually not true. Yes, they do party. But at the end of the day, there was a lot of work, studying, and tests. It's a lot. And I can't imagine going through four years of that. It's pretty hardcore. I stuck myself in some classes that were just above my comprehension. I was in, what the hell was it? The math was incredibly hard. It's like, so cool. Like, did you learn anything? And what he learned was that other people <laughs> study. He didn't learn any details about any subject. That was a very Donald Trump sentence. Yeah, it really yeah. is. You hear about something that you don't hear about, but actually it's yeah. not true. Yeah. <laughs> He did learn. He learned his own limitations. He learned the limits of his own uh, mind. That was such a ridiculous show. The whole thing's on YouTube if anyone wants to go watch it. Yeah, we need to stream it sometime. We, yeah, we should stream the whole thing. It's so weird because it's uh, the concept doesn't make sense. It was um, the University of Nebraska. I guess they wanted to do outreach or something, and then someone at VH1 reached out to the University University of Nebraska or the other way around and they took the drummer of a famously LA band very tied up tied into LA as their identity and just sent him to Nebraska to do general studies for 6 months where he lived off <laughs> campus in a fake apartment that was yeah. <laughs> uh, stylized as a dorm it, it just doesn't make sense. The amount of artifice that went into it it's compared so cool. to what they got out of it. Like what they got out of it doesn't make any sense. Was it, was it popular? No. no, I think it had six episodes. Yeah. One season. It was like a mini season. Yeah. We need to stream it in its entirety. It's very, it's like, he was just, how old was he? Like 48 maybe. Yeah. And they acted like everyone in the school loved Tommy Lee and they were all cheering for him. Yeah, they forced 18-year-olds to come up to him like, hey, you're Tommy Lee. People who were born after Motley Crue's peak. Yeah, exactly. You put out like one album in my lifetime. Amazing. He talks about Rockstar Supernova. I got to give props to Mark Burnett. That's the guy who came up with Rockstar Supernova, which was that reality show in 2006 where they at first uh, got a new singer for In Excess, which didn't last right. very long. And then in the second season, they auditioned someone for a supergroup, which was Tommy Lee, the replacement bassist for Metallica, um, and the brief uh, touring guitarist for Guns N' Roses. And you were going to be a singer of that band if you won. And they picked this weird Canadian like um, Creed Puddle of Mud Oh yeah I totally uh, remember like this mid 2000s butt rock guy and he was very nasty on the show and it didn't really make sense why he won but apparently Tommy Lee thinks that uh, that guy was really talented and the singer Lucas Rossi is on Tommy Lee's new record not only oh, did cool. we find this incredibly talented guy, but we also got to make a record with him and tour. And then they left as soon as possible. Jason Newstead, <laughs> who was the bassist for Metallica, uh, he like pretended to break his arm, I think. After the first tour stop or something. He just said, oh, an amp fell on me. Can't go on the rest <laughs> right, of the tour. Right. I'm, a, I'm out. He refused to load out. <laughs> like, yo, man, can you grab your amp? He's like, oh, I got a tummy ache. 
Newstead's pretty good at getting out of uh, situations which are about to go bad. <laughs> when did he leave Metallica? After the Black Album, I think. I think. That's a good time to sell your stocks. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's when you want to cash out. You don't want to see load. No, and he suffered like, you know, like his his first album with them was Justice for All where famously his bass was completely uh, the like removed from the mix. Yeah, that was so plenty funny. of jokes about that in Metalocalypse. Who's the producer? Was it Bob Rock for that? Yeah, uh for oh for Justice for All? Yeah, or no, it wasn't. It was I, uh produced by them, I guess. I think it was yeah, I think it was produced by them. There, and maybe Fleming Rasmussen had something to do with it. Yeah, too. that's the other guy. But, but he's like, yeah, he was obviously taking the uh, the cues from them. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. They, they, I don't think they were ready to produce an album by themselves. No, but I mean, it is their last good album. So yeah, they should have just kept the settings from Ride the Lightning. Yeah, just leave the board the same as uh, Master of Puppets, man. That's it, you know? Yeah, don't change anything. Getting stuck in the roller coaster during Motley Crue's final show, 2016. <laughs> Were you scared? I wasn't, because it happened before. <laughs> <laughs> he had a roller coaster that goes upside down over the stage. I can't even imagine how much prep there is for that. How much money gets wasted having it's a team so of 20 guys setting up, <laughs> yeah. setting up the staging for this stuff? Yeah, that's got to be a pretty big slice of the pre-production time pie every day, too. You know? Going to one of the shows <laughs> is like going to Mall of America, where they have that stupid roller coaster inside. He gets stuck every other time. There are four or five different videos of him getting stuck on the top of the roller coaster. So he's upside down, strapped into his drum kit, just sitting there above the audience. And someone has to climb up uh, the um, scaffolding and then help him out <laughs> so he can climb down the scaffolding. And this is happening in front of a packed... Uh, probably max capacity stadium. He's like a kitten stuck in a tree. They need to start touring with firefighters that go up there and pull him down. How much yeah, totally. must the uh, Motley Crue final show have been at the box office? $200 oh. a ticket? Yeah, something insane, probably. I guarantee. Yeah, like for general admission, yeah, definitely. Huge ticket price. And uh, at least 11 minutes of it is Tommy Lee... <laughs> stuck on a roller coaster no one's that's playing any music to, that's a good way to burn time i think i've brought this up on here before but i i really want to see it happen someday either with a band i'm in or another band where you have a money clock you know where it's like on one side of there's two lcd clocks giant on stage and one is the amount of time remaining in the show and the other uh, goes up towards the guarantee that you're making. And when the when the time reaches zero and the uh, money clock reaches your guarantee, the power to the entire stage is cut. <laughs> That's efficiency. A trap yeah. door opens and the whole audience just <laughs> falls onto a slide and leaves the venue. The market stage lights go Stage lights go down, curtain falls, house lights go up, and then they bring out like the fire hoses. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy Lee played on Post Malone's Over Now. 
That's one way where rock is definitely a, a big part of the charts. Right. Two guys like that. It's You're just sort of Travis Barker into the song. into the general landscape, which is fine because usually when rock when rock um, makes itself distinct, it's usually in a really bad way. Yeah. When people get Didn't really hopped up about rock, it's usually like hair metal or something. Doesn't Machine Gun Kelly have like a pop punk album out right now? Isn't that yeah. like? He was Tommy yeah. uh, Tommy Lee in the Molly Crew movie. Yeah. First yeah, scene of that movie, of it's him getting a woman to squirt across a party. Oh yeah, you mentioned that on the episode <laughs> with Josiah. <laughs> yeah, you open it up and it's like him saying, "Look at this, guys!" And then she squirts twenty feet across a room. That's an amazing way to start a movie. It's it's the equivalent of starting a song with a line about Bud Light. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's a great movie. It's entertaining. It's so stupid, though. And they're, the actors are so much better looking than the actual guys. Except Tommy Lee. Machine Gun Kelly is about as good looking as Tommy Lee. But the Nikki Six guy, the Vince Neil guy, and the Mick Mars guy are also are all like far and away better looking than the real guys. Mick Mars is a freak. He looks like a steampunk robot. that's true I'm thinking again about Tommy Lee being in class just everything going in one ear and out the other you know and how like he finally got to experience what rock and roll music is about because all those 80s rock songs are like I want to rock you know I'm thinking about rock and you know like none of them are about actually rocking they're about how much you want to rock and when you're in that class and you're too stupid to like keep anything in your head what you're thinking is, man, I want to rock, you know? Yeah. Like he finally had that experience of like, that's the true thing that 80s rock was about was sitting there imagining rocking. It was about saluting people who were preparing to rock. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a funny thing I discovered recently. Bang Your Head Metal Health by Quiet Riot was on the Footloose soundtrack. <laughs> no shit. It wasn't in the movie, but it was on the soundtrack. Was it inspired by the motion picture? <laughs> I hope so. That would be pretty good. Oh, R.I.P. to the Quiet Riot guy, the drummer. Oh, yeah, we're never going to get when another album we... and, yeah, uh, mixed like that last one. Frankie Benali. R.I.P. He died in August. He produced that last album with his drums uh, turned all the way up and everything <laughs> yeah. else turned all the way down. Yeah, that's how you do and it. And I guess uh, I guess that was his swan song. He wanted us to hear him because it was his last words. R.I.P. Perfectly competent drummer when uh, he wasn't producing the record. Tommy Lee's solo album is called Andro. So I guess he's manly. Uh, his quote about the Smashing Pumpkins that I was trying to describe earlier is... Man, talk about a challenge. Uh, you know, it was a big challenge for me because in the prog rock drum world, the time signatures are constantly changing and the feel of the songs change sporadically. It's not your straight ahead four on the floor thing. Mm. <laughs> Does anyone associate think... Smashing Pumpkins with uh, like anything but like four four time? No. I don't think Smashing Smashing Pumpkins are prog rock only in the way that they've made, like, long-ass, ponderous albums. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not even four on the floor, either. Four on the floor is the kick is on every beat, right? 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to this song that Tommy Lee was on, and it's just a Smashing Pumpkins song. It's 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, it's not It's King the Crimson. same drum beat it's... for the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been a loop other than the fills. They probably did loop it. They probably had him perform the whole thing a couple of times, comped it, and then just like sliced out the parts where he was on time, quanti- like vaguely on time, quantized it, and then just kind of dragged it across the whole song. Tommy, we got a Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they did on. it in the end. But uh, the, in his in the next paragraph, though, he is complaining about how he had to do top to bottom takes. Mm-hmm. He had to do top to bottom takes so they could get like one perfect symbol hit that they could isolate <laughs> yeah, exactly. and use as the symbol. <laughs> yeah. When they assembled it. <laughs> I actually wonder how, like, okay, with the switch from sort of tape to the sort of fine detail you can do with, with DAW production, with like Pro Tools, how many of those old old school rock guys are completely unaware of what's happening sort of behind the producer? Oh, class? I'm sure a ton. Yeah, they're you, probably you just like chopping I mean? up like, things and yeah, copying pasting them along the click track and they have no idea. You're totally right. They're listening back to it. Man, I am on just the beat. A, I sound fucking good. I got yeah. a in the pocket, man. I'm grooving. Yeah, and meanwhile, they've probably replaced, like, every single acoustic instrument or supplemented it with, like, a sample, yeah, you know, exactly. like, which is definitely something that happens even on, like, non-big budget records. Tricking yeah. your bandmate into having someone else play their part on the record and then them, them not finding out is a pretty good bit. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think that happened with Ringo a couple times. <laughs> no, that was you playing on that, man. It's fine. Yeah, sounds great. Listen to how good you are. <laughs> or at least on the White Album, there's a bunch of songs where Paul McCartney just played drums himself because he was too fucking pissy to let anyone else play on the song. Like, Back in the USSR is one of those for sure. I think it's on the re-release of the White Album, the 50-year anniversary. There's a session recording of the ballad of John and Yoko that's really good, where it's Paul on drums and John on guitar and vocals. Hmm. And they're like riffing with each other, and the drums sounded great then. At the very end, the Beatles' uh, drum sound, the snare sound they had dialed in, very good. But then uh, all their solo stuff was Phil Spector, so no one really kept that snare sound. Yeah, but yeah, that's right. Phil Spector's sound was really good for George Harrison. Like I love how All Things Must Pass is produced. That's a great album. Earlier this year, I got really into that, and that's all I listened to for a couple weeks. Nice. I should probably have, like, a phase of it soon. It's easy, like it's better than a lot of the Beatles albums, too, you know? Like, it yeah, might it would be, be, like, the fourth best Beatles album. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say something like that, too, you know? What's this super heavy John Lennon record with, like, Mother on it? Plastic Ono Band. Right. The first one. That is, is that Spectre, too? I think so. I like the production on that record. It's very, like, stark. They're really into the slapback delay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. on, like, everything. Instant it was, like, a new was thing a then, kind of. Yeah. Every time someone wants to use Imagine for something, they should be auto-redirected to a different John Lennon song. Mind games. Yeah, number nine dreams. <laughs> yeah. 
totally. It's like Keemstar said, if Israel and Palestine would just listen to John Lennon imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the greatest quotes. Man, Keemstar is the perfect guy to get, like, speaking of the Fleetwood Mac song having, like, a second wind, Keemstar is the perfect guy to go viral listening to 60s and 70s songs and just fucking blowing his mind. (laughs) Keemstar listening to Elvis Sun Sessions. Have him listen to Sugar Hill Gang. (laughs) Yo, dog, man. It's like this shit inspired, like, everybody, man. Keemstar listening to the Deutsche Grammophon box set of Carl Heinz Stockhausen's early tape loop experiments. <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying to put myself in Keemstar's shoes. It's probably kind of liberating that he's like the first generation of guys to get rich making drama videos. Because <laughs> it allows him to, <laughs> to claim things like uh, when he said that he was inspired by Aaron Sorkin. He, he watched the newsroom and that's what made him want to make drama videos. Like, did he, he can say, say that? shit like... Yeah, he did. Are you Holy sure Felix shit. didn't make that up and lie to no, you? No, he he absolutely said that, man. Um, but like, because he's the first generation of drama video guy, he can be influenced by like other mediums. But it's gonna get much more bleak when there's like a kid right now who watches Keemstar constantly, who's big in ten years, who's like, man, yeah, Keemstar, that was it for me. Like that was the fucking. He's like the Beatles of drama videos. It's kind of like Trump in that. He's very stupid, but the position he occupies, if occupied by a very smart and savvy person, could be disastrous. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) He has a lot of power, and he could use it, but he's busy posting stuff like, Israel and Palestine need to study John Lennon Imagine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What was the one that he blocked uh, Felix for always retweeting? Something about him hitting like a deer or a dog or something with his car? On Christmas, oh, it's a, it was a. I, th- I think he hit a deer on Christmas, and it's yeah, it's really hard to get through. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess maybe also what I'm saying is that Keemstar right now is kind of like your Sugar Hill Gang or like your '50s rock, where oh, who knows it how it's going to metastasize. It was a dog. Okay, oh, that's what I thought. Oh, yeah, God. <laughs> it's so much more ridiculous. It was, I just hit a dog going 70 miles per hour on my truck. Such a shitty Christmas Eve right now. It ran right <laughs> up on the highway. I hate this year so much. Oh. Come on, man. Yeah. If you're feeling that guilty about it, don't fucking post, man. He had that one yeah. about if you're having a panic attack, just drink two or three sips of beer. <laughs> God, he's so fucking cool. Yeah, maybe we need to hand the keys of governance over to the Keemstars of this world, you know, just because, like... It couldn't be that like much saying, worse. Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, like, an intelligent person with any kind of, like, whether it's a bad motive or a or a noble motive, it's just going to fuck things up. So, so just let's give it to a benevolent moron who's just going to get distracted by whatever's like rattling around inside their head at that moment. And then they're going to forget about, you know, like that, that seems safe. Yeah. In general, it's a good, especially in the U S it's a good case for stripping a lot of powers from the presidency. Like it's, the we've only gotten executive requires a person who can competently exercise those powers. And it's very hard to find. It should yeah. be hard to find in like an ostensibly meritocratic society, but or when you can find a guy it, you like can't FTR, get them elected. You, you just, yeah, you just can't get them in there. It's just yeah. uh, 
uh, chimp movie actors with dementia. That's yeah. who gets in there. You need, you need somebody with a, like an absurd level of unearned self-confidence, you know? That was what yeah. happened in Rome. There was one guy who was really smart and knew how to run stuff, and he expanded the executive powers indefinitely, and then a bunch of guys used it to fuck a horse or something. Yeah. <laughs> I guess while we've taken a turn to the political here, we have another good, like, boomer social media thing that's going on right now because Van Morrison is promoting Ugh. his new uh, anti-lockdown semi-COVID truther, like... I don't know that he thinks COVID is fake. I just think he thinks it's not a big deal, right? He, I, I think really he just actually. has that um, primitive libertarian instinct. He just wants to go to the pub, mate. Don't you tell know? me That's what true. to do. I want to take my mask off. Don't tell me what to do. I'm 87 years old, and uh, it's time for me to go. Yeah. <laughs> I think this I is probably the same... It's the same phenomenon as when the Velvet Underground drummer was seen at that Tea Party rally. Yeah, Mo Tucker. Yeah, yeah. there's just some kind of like broke brain boomer thing that happens to the best of them, you know? That's true. Um, That's true. But I'm, now I'm wondering, is, was Van ever good, though? I mean, he is. Yeah, politically, I have no idea. All he's I know an orange man. Like, he's, he's, he's like, uh, he's an Ulster guy. Yeah, I guess I've never even, I'm not a big enough fan of his to have ever cared about his politics. Uh... Ulster loyalists are so sad. <laughs> I've completed that conquest so many times in Europa Universalis Four, <laughs> and to just get that one province and then be proud of it when Ireland was just sitting there for a thousand years. You've got that one little chunk That's... at the top, and like you're happy about that. That's what they want. You man. lost. You blew it. <laughs> we got to check out the lyrics on this song though the uh it's called no more lockdown and the lyrics are no more taking of our freedom and our god-given rights pretending it's for our safety when it's really to enslave who's running our country who's running our world examine it closely and watch it unfurl no more lockdown no more threats and just kind of goes on like that but what is this line about no more Imperial College Santa's making yeah. up crooked facts? Yeah, I have no idea what the fuck that's. That's got to be Satan, right? That's got to be a... A typo? I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's got to be a typo, unless his brain is truly broken. I hope that he has some kind of Santa-related COVID conspiracy theory. Santa, is, he does, Santa doesn't want to deliver presents anymore, so he used COVID as a pretext that he can't go down any chimneys now. Because it wouldn't be safe. The guy from the Stone Roses apparently released an anti-lockdown song as well. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, that's... Man, it's kind of unsurprising, I guess. To be fair, I haven't listened to anything except their one album, so... This sounds like crap. Are you listening to it? Yeah. Does it still sound vaguely like Stone Roses? I don't know if I've ever heard a Stone Roses song. Oh, man, you uh, gotta. Have you heard, have you heard I Want to Be Adored? No, let me That's listen to it. That's a classic song, dude. It's so good. That's a fucking great song, man. Wonderful. Just these two things are making me really glad I wasn't born in the UK. Something <laughs> happens to your brain there where you, when you get old and you get obsessed with... You get really red and you get obsessed with Brexit and transgender people in bathrooms. Yeah. And, uh, you don't get red, you get ruddy. Yeah, you get ruddy. ruddy. You get really obsessed yeah, right, with anti-Semitism for some reason, even though mm -hmm. you're like an mm -hmm. Earl. 
your lineage goes back to William the Bastard, but for some <laughs> reason you're really offended on behalf of Jews. That's what happens. Only to when you. it's politically expedient, though. Yeah. And there's like a 95% chance that like a bunch of people in your family line have made money off like colonial exploitation. <laughs> yeah, you just directly live in a mansion that was built with like slave teeth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, your uh, your great uncle was like the minister of torture in the Singapore colony. Actually, I think after Brexit, the US and the UK should combine to make the worst ostensibly democratic system of governance possible where we should combine our Senate with their house of Lords. Oh yeah. And then we I should have a, Amer- a King and Queen. I want to see Americans wearing wigs. Baby. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> like we need to really go all they like the UK has different bad ideas. Like we could take our healthcare system, get rid of theirs. Like between the U S and the UK, you could make the worst country on earth. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yeah, worst food. So- yeah, exactly. We'll take their food, our health care. <laughs> the royal family stays, but also the royal family their, is subjected uh, their to their like accent, their slang. Yeah, the, like yep, the way they like, the, like Cockney accent. Um, but the royal family needs to be funded the same way we fund like DOD, where it's like eight hundred billion dollars, and every single year it just goes up and up. And you can't like we have a couple of like major private contractors who provide everything for the royal family, so like. Northrop Grumman is getting two hundred billion a year, and you can't cut him out of it. You know. Yeah, this is how we win. This is how uh, this is how the West wins. <laughs> it might be better to have a system where Mitch McConnell is just a lord. Yeah, true. If he's going to be there forever, what if he had an yeah. independent source of millions of dollars from peasants? You'll get to see like uh, like chinless British royalty and like the Coke fail son go fox hunting in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> I love this idea. This is great. And and they'll synthesize the greatest music the world has ever known. Yep. You know, it'll be like simultaneously like the American obsession with 1960s counterculture shit and Brit- Britain's obsession with like uh, with with like early 90s like Britpop. What's the worst possible way you could combine American and British music? Mm. I'm thinking like the Gallagher brothers singing over like a like a new Limp Biscuits track, you know? <laughs> Liam Gallagher singing over Blink One Eighty Two. Ooh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 good. What was that band uh, from the uh, mid '60s that all the classic rock guys were in? It was like oh, the Traveling Wilburys. John John Bluesman's Blues Brothers. Yeah, the Blues Hammers. That might be uh, that might be the worst. Now, fuck uh, Machine Gun Kelly uh, with James Blake producing. So there's plenty of space to hear his voice. Oh yeah. man, James Blake's married to that woman who's crazy and pretends to have all the diseases, and he has to back her up on that. It's uh, what's her name? Jamila Jamil. Hmm. Uh, I don't know who that is. Yeah, she. Unfamiliar. Uh, she's an actress, I think, or a model. And she uh, claims that she's had cancer like 12 times and all these different diseases and that she gets stung by bees all the time. A lot of, lot of different stories about her being chased by bees. <laughs> <laughs> One of those people. I listened to the Stone Roses, I Want to Be a Door. That's a pretty good song. Oh, it's great. It's a great song. That album yeah, yeah. is pretty solid overall. Liam Gallagher told the Stone Roses guy to shut up. Oh damn! Did he really? 
Yeah. Oh, remember when Azalea Banks had a beef with the Stone Roses dude? Did she really? That's, yeah, she did. Because uh, the people we're talking about right here are all just the people who start shit with everyone. So like, go. It's actually insane that Liam Gallagher doesn't have beef with Azalea Banks. Yeah, I was just thinking that's a logical like conclusion. She put him in a tank, and they'll have a beef. Mm-hmm. Is she still deactivated on Twitter? After uh, well, I think her her, whole, her last amazing transphobic rant. Yeah, I feel like her career's been deactivated for a long she time, which is a shame because together for two seconds she's she had an like, insanely good rapper. Like she, yeah, she her first couple singles were to, amazing, uh, and she's so she, dumb and shitty. She knows how to get media attention. You just need to moderate it, so you only occasionally have a beef, not yeah. every single day, just <laughs> yeah, enough you to get the press. Drip feed the beef. Yeah, she clearly just has like some kind of like personality disorder or something. But it really is a sh- it sucks. I forgot like when she first came out, I was like wanting to be like a big fan of her. Like holy shit, these couple singles are like incredible. And then she, it took her like I don't know how many years, like six or seven years, to put her first album out. And it, and by that point, she'd already like pissed away all her goodwill. I kind of you know like I kind of warmed up to her again with her Trunon interview because I felt like it was. I don't know. No, I didn't hear that. Oh, I actually didn't know she did that. Yeah. Yeah, like they, uh, Brace and Liz had her on Trunon, and she was. I, I felt like she was great. It was like very refreshing. It was nice, great interview. And then, I think a couple of weeks later, she just got back on Twitter and was just just blasting out like just fucking insane transphobic shit. And, yeah, that sucks. You know, it's just like it makes it hard to uh, enjoy the music. <laughs> yeah, she post. shot herself in the foot so many if times not that impossible. like she she's wasted all her goodwill again and again. It's a shame, but yeah. it is what it is. If you're gonna fucking behave the way she does, yeah, it's true. I kind of feel the same way about uh, Ariel Pink too. Yeah, yeah, he's a huge piece of shit. Even though he's a great pop sensibility, but. He's a very smart guy, but he, yeah, I don't want him to give an interview ever again. Lock him in a room yeah. with a uh, a DAW and a keyboard. Yeah, just just don't. No one needs to know his Ariel Pink's opinions on anything, really. <laughs> just right. Some right people songs, aren't able buddy. to think in multiple modes. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I there are a couple people that I love, like. Like Marky uh, e. Smith in particular, who like I'm a huge Fall fan, and he is an extremely problematic person at some points in his career when he's doing interviews. But like, there's something about he he's kind of mastered the art of giving like a bad interview or like confrontational interview, and and it's sort of an extension of his uh, musical output. So I can I can kind of like forgive him some of his like. We I and mean, he never really gets as bad as like or as gauche as like Ariel Pink or, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's like a yeah semi problematic fave. I mean, a lot of the, what we're talking about comes down to the fact that like you don't have to be smart to make good music. <laughs> like, and being a good person is also very different than being good at any creative pursuit. So there's always like some tension between people who are very good at one thing and terrible at the other. You know. Yeah. I, th- I think the problem is 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 that at some point around the time that Bob Dylan did that, like, uh, what is that fucking Pennebaker documentary on him? Uh, don't look um, back. Don't look around the time like Don't Look Back came out. Like that was just codified into culture, specifically for dudes to be like, this is a way to be with yeah. uh, press. 
which is just like antagonistic. And I, th I think, uh, yeah, I, th I think like Ariel Pink is like kind of a, like a weird copy of a copy of a copy of that. Some like distant echo of that that just sucks. It's not, there's nothing to it. Yeah. I don't even like the, I don't even like the don't look back Dylan era very much, you know, personally. <laughs> like I think it's kind of dumb, but. I kind of understand why he was that way though. Because he kind of, like in terms of his own personal background, he sort of lied his way into prominence, and yeah, I think he became yeah, very yeah. combative because he's like, I don't want to talk about this shit. I just want to make music. I think I don't think it was like cynical or calculated. I think that was just genuinely his instinct because he was still like fucking like twenty three or twenty four. You know, that's another thing. Yeah, like he was just like young <laughs> yeah. and impulsive, and that was like his actual instinct. I think. But you're right that it became a thing that you can do now. Once people saw him do it, it's like, oh, I'm just going to be combative dickhead because it's like, it makes me look cool. <laughs> yeah, that does totally. seem to be common now. Lana Del Rey did that. Sometimes people make the decision to give her a combative interview with a major publication right as their album comes out. Because if you have stands, it'll rile them up for sure. Totally. If you have the right kind yeah. of online presence, that can be a huge positive for you that is and see even that though i think is more calcul like or maybe i'm like you know i could be wrong and maybe the bob dylan thing is also very calculated but i think the lana del rey thing is calculated because she's smart enough to know her audience is the stands rather than the interviewer so you can totally. treat the interviewer like shit in order to rile up your fans and then you're doing like the savvy business move you know yeah and i think the publications are kind of complicit in it too like when you know, Ariel Pink gave that insane Pitchfork interview. Uh, you know, like I, I think Pitchfork calculatedly was like, this is going to make people click on it and talk about it. And it's, it's just all like, seems like theater being presented as like this wild personality that just needs to speak truth to whatever power, small P power, you know? I think the way we can move that dynamic forward is we need music journalists who, immediately back down like oh i have a tummy ache oh, oh. Yeah, totally, <laughs> so you're trying to beat Start up on them. with whatever they say <laughs> yeah exactly yeah oh. absolutely oh well i didn't know that about the rothschilds that's very interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah azalea banks uh yeah you know and they do create uh they do control the media they control the banks they control the uh the federal reserve uh, ryan schreiber yeah that's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, huh? Exactly. Yeah, I guess so. Huh? That's, a, that's actually Trevor. kind of a good point. Ain't that I, the thing? I do control the banks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be a good way to disarm it because then uh, people are getting mad at the journalists then. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's the only way to move the, uh, to break the stalemate that we're at is to do something stupid like that. Everyone's mad or, at or, uh, the journalist and they're saying your name every time they talk about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Journalist endorses yeah, you, David Duke in an interview with Azalea Bank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Become the story, yeah. Yeah. Or as the artist, you could just be like like oppressively agreeable with the interviewer to the point where they get frustrated and start being mean to you. <laughs> and then make it about how nasty they are. All right, well, I feel like, um, you know, I think we ran out of social media posts and, and stuff we wanted to cover here, but... Basically, if anyone has any thoughts about this, just reply and then we'll quote tweet you like uh, David Crosby and be like, meh. Don't care. 
Fuck you. Who? Who died? Not my problem. They got those long, long legs and those long, long thighs and he 